Chapter 4 of Cripps the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4 Cripps in a Quandary. Worth Oglander was now in his seventieth year. Although he might be a trifle fat, was a truly hale and active man. His limbs were as sound as his conscience, and he was well content with his life and age. He had seen a good deal of the world and of enemies in the stirring times of war, but no wrong lay in the bottom of his heart, no harm ever done to any one except that he had killed a few Frenchmen, perhaps, as all Englishmen used to be forced to do. Moreover, he had what most folk now of the very best kind have almost outlived, a staunch and steadfast faith in the management of the world by its maker. We are too clever now for all this, of course, but it must be allowed that this fine old faith bred courage, truth, and comfort. Whoever has played this trick with me, said the squire as soon as he recovered himself, is, to say the least of it, a blackguard. Even for a Christmas joke it is carrying things a great deal too far. I have played and been played many practical jokes when there was nothing else to do, in winter quarters and such like, but this is beyond. Thomas, run and fetch Cripps. I will get to the bottom of this, I am resolved. In a minute or two Master Cripps came in. His face was a little flushed from the power of the compliments paid to Mary but his eyes were quite firm and his breeches and gaiters strictly under discipline of the legs inside them. "'Servant, sir,' he said, touching his forelock nearly the color of clover hay. "'All correct, I hope, squire, and safe and sound and in good condition. That's how I deliver all goods, barring the will of the Almighty.' "'Tell me the meaning of this.' As he spoke, Mr. Oglander held up the bright wreath of hair and pointed to the red stains on the sack. Cripps, as behooved a slow-minded man, stared at the hair and the bag and the squire and the roof of the brewery and all the tubs, and then began feeling in his hat for orders. Cripps, are you dumb? Are you tipsy, or what? Or are you too much ashamed of yourself? I ain't done nought to be ashamed of. Me nor my father afore me. Then, will you tell me what this means? Are you going to keep me all night, for God's sake? Squire, I never, I never seen un. I know no more than stone. I know no more than the dead, I do. Where did you get the bag? Was it like this? Who gave it to you? Have you let it out of your sight? Did you see anybody come near it? Squire, I can't tell ye such a many things. They heft up the barg to me at the Black Horse, where the bargs was always left for you. I took no heed of em, not a common, and no one have a-titched him since but me. There was nothing more to be learned from Cripps except that he passed the Black Horse that day a little earlier than usual and had not brought his sister Esther, who was to have met him at the Golden Cross. He had come home by way of Ellsfield, having something to deliver there, and had given a lift to old Shepherd Wakeling, but that could have naught to do with it. It was now getting dark, and the squire every moment grew more and more uneasy. "'Keep all this nonsense to yourself now, Cripps,' 
he said as he stowed the bag under a tub and carefully covered his daughter's hair and the piece of paper with a straining sieve. It might annoy me very much if this joke went any further, you know. I can trust Thomas to hold his tongue, and I hope I can trust you, neighbor Cripps. Your honor knoweth what I be, answered the loyal carrier, ever since I were a boy. But there, they all knows what I be. Master Cripps, with his brain a good piece doiled, as he afterwards said of it, made his way back to the cart and mounted in his special manner. Although he was only two score years of age, he had so much rheumatism in his right knee, whether it sprang from the mud or the ruts, or, as he believed, from the turnpike gates, that he was bound to get up in this way. First he looked well up and down the lane to be sure there was no other cart in sight. Then he said, Whoa! to Dobbin, who was always quite ready to receive that advice. Then he put his left foot on the little step and made sure that it was quite steady. Throwing his weight on that foot, he laid hold of the crupper with his right hand and placed his stiff knee on the flat of the shaft, never without a groan or two. At this stage he rested to collect his powers, and then, with decisive action, flung his left foot upon the footboard and casting the weight of his body thither, came down on the seat with a thump and a rattle. He was now all right, and Dobbin felt it and acknowledged the fact with a grateful grunt. Then Carrier Cripps took up the reins and made a little flourish with the brass-bound whip, and Dobbin put up his head and started with his most convenient foot. "'I don't know what to make of this here start,' said Cripps to himself and his horse and cart, as soon as he had smitten his broad chest long enough to arouse circulation. "'Seem it to me a queer thing, truly.' but I never were a hand at a riddle. All gun, Dobbin. Wanna go home tonight. End of chapter 4